Welcome to the Faith Lighthouse Church message of the week. We hope that you enjoy this teaching. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mylighthouse.church. We're starting a brand new series today called After the Rose. And the whole idea and the premise of this series is based off of the, the reality TV show, The Bachelor and the Bachelorette. Now, I have not, I'm not a fan of that show. I've, I've tried to watch it a couple times, and I just can't get into it. And so if you're like me and you've never really watched the show, or you might be a fan of the show, then you know exactly what it's about. But if you're not, let me just kind of give you a little bit of backstory on this series. Basically, you have a bachelor or a bachelorette, and they are set up in this house, and there are eligible men and women uh, to choose from. And so they, they get to know one another, and they go out on dates and all these things, and, and at the end of each week, the bachelor or the bachelorette will, will give a rose to the person or to the people that they want to get to know better, and then at the end of the show, uh, the one person that they choose, they hand the rose to, and, and they are to get married and live happily ever after. But it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> the happily ever after doesn't always happen, but we're made to believe that. And often when we watch even Disney movies, all of the you know, wonderful Disney classic movies, you see that the, 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 the lovely you know, young woman and, and her Prince Charming and, and even, you know, you see all this, almost every movie is the same. But at the end, after they go through all their obstacles, they come together and then at the end of the movie, the credits, before the credits roll, it says, and they lived happily ever after. Well, we know we live in reality and not on a reality TV show or a Disney movie, that the happily ever after doesn't always happen. That the happily ever after is different for all of us, and some people never live in the happily ever after. The true story is that uh, the, 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 they're trying to portray that life is going to be wonderful after you get married. That, that all of the obstacles and all the challenges you go through to get married, that's it. And then once you get married, everything is fine. Just like on The Bachelor, that you, know, you go through this whole dating process and then the one person, you know, they get the rose and the cameras turn off and, and, and they lived happily ever after. That everything is wonderful and perfect. But we know that's just not true. If you are married or have been married, you know that's not how the story goes. That, that our lives often begin after we say, I do. That the movie doesn't stop. That there's a whole lot more to go through. If you're not married, don't check out on me. Well, that's not for me. I, and I'll just, you know, uh, look on, you know, Facebook for the, the next, you know, 25, 30 minutes or so. Don't check out on me. Hang tight because there are principles that we can apply to all of our lives. And if you are not married or going to get married or thinking about getting married, I believe there are some things, some truths that we can hold on to. So let me get a little interactive this morning, okay? I told you we're going to have a little bit of fun with this series, so I want to get a little interactive. I want to hear from the ladies in the house today, okay? Now, we're in God's house, so you don't lie, all right? So I want you, I want you to be honest with me, all right? Now, ladies, growing up, all right, did you or did you not imagine your wedding day? Did you or did you not picture the wedding dress that you were going to, to wear? Did you or did you not know what color the bridesmaid dresses were going to be? Did you already know, that, like have a general idea of who you were going to marry or, or kind of the picture of who he was? And then you had named all 2.5 of your children and the dog that you were going to have in the white 
house, in the picket fence house and all of that. All right, ladies, be honest. Was that, did you do that by, you, by the time you were 16 years old? Raise your hand. All right, come on, be honest. Come on, ladies. All right, okay, all right. Now, if you're lying, he's going to get you. Just saying. <laughs> Don't be afraid. All right, now, guys. Now, didn't you imagine the same thing? No, 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 no. <laughs> guys, did you picture by the time you were 16 or around the age of 16 that thinking of your wedding day and when you were going to get married, your thought was that, that I get to, to, to have a spouse and that we get to do things twice a day and maybe some, and three times on Sunday. That's what you were thinking. Raise your hand. There we go. Thank you for that. Look at there. Thank you for the honesty. Amen, brothers. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you are still waiting for that dream to come true? <laughs> the reality sometimes does not match what we have or what we picture our wedding is going to be like. Often we are, taught, we are told when it comes to romantic love and relationships, we're, we're, we're given conflicted messages that we really don't know what's true. Just like in The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and Disney movies, it just, that's not real life. That doesn't, what is portrayed does not happen. That you don't always get the house with the picket fence and the dog and the 2.5 kids. The reality happens that it often in many marriages, happily ever after, just doesn't happen. Now, I'm going to want to take a look today at an unusual Bible story. So if you want, you can turn to Genesis chapter 29. And you may be familiar with this passage of Scripture. But this is a very, very unique story. And, and to just give a little bit of context of what's going on, um, we see that the, the, the main character, the male figure, is Jacob. Now, Jacob is an interesting character just in and of itself, but, but, Jared, but Jacob was, was single, and he was looking for a companion. And, and he goes along, and he travels to his uncle's well. His uncle is Laban. And so he goes to his uncle's well, and he sees this beautiful woman, just off in the distance, an absolutely gorgeous woman. And he looks at her, and because of her appearance, he falls in love. Yeah. <laughs> he falls in love. Now, do the math. You're probably doing the math. Okay, wait a second. That's his uncle. He sees her, Laban's daughter, Rachel. Wait, that's his cousin. Yep, that, that, that's right. That's his cousin. He falls in love with his cousin because she is beautiful. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but they're probably from the deep backwoods of, well, I won't, you can fill in the blank where the deep backwoods are, but you know those people that I'm talking about. So he falls in love with his beautiful cousin, Rachel. And he's probably thinking, if I can just marry her, my life is going to be complete. That if I can just, if she will be my wife, then everything will make sense. All will be good and we'll live happily ever after. Now, the text doesn't specifically say that, but just reading between the lines. If we look at Jacob's story, again, I don't have the time to go through all of it, but, but Jacob really never had the love of his father. That, that Isaac loved Esau. And, and we see that Jacob and, and Isaac didn't have that close of a relationship. So if, if you have been in a situation like that where you didn't have the love of your father, your father was distant, you understand the, the, uh, the void that can be in your life and the longing to search for something. Now, Jacob did have the love of his mother. Now, Rebecca loved Jacob, and, and she was even the one that encouraged him to, to steal the, the blessing away from Esau. 
But because of that, now Jacob had to leave his mother, who he was very close with, and now he's out on his own. So that even compounds, he didn't have a close relationship with his father, and now the one that he did have a close relationship, he is apart from her. So he's on his own. There was a void in his life. On top of that, we see that he really didn't have, at this point in time, a close relationship with God. He didn't fully understand the love of God. So it's really not surprising that he sees this beautiful woman off in the distance and thinks, if I can just marry her, my life will be complete. Everything will make sense. That happens many times in society, right? That, that we believe and we're told if you just find the right man or the, white, the right woman, everything is going to be okay. That, that we're going to live happily ever after. That, that we will fill that void in our lives by just having that companion. Now, you might know somebody that maybe fits like Jacob. Maybe it was the girl that always had to have a boyfriend. That if she didn't have a boyfriend by her side, something was wrong. She could, you know, she, she just had to always have a guy in her life. Or maybe the guy, girl in high school, that always had to have the prettiest girlfriend, that that made him validated with his peer group. And if he didn't have her in his life, then, then he wasn't who he was supposed to be, that he always had to have somebody with him. Many people feel that way, that they have to have that man or that woman or that guy or that girl in their life, and then it will lead to marriage, and then they will live happily ever after to fill that void that we're all longing for. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, I'm not sure how many Hebrew scholars we have here today, but this translation it, 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 it is trying to protect Leah. All right, the, the, saying that she had weak eyes had nothing to do with her vision. It was saying that, that she was not kind on the eyes to look at. The Bible can be fierce, I'm telling you. Like, you know, she had weak eyes. She, she's not the best to look at. But Rachel, whoo, she was lovely in figure. She was beautiful. So we see the difference between the two. Leah, the older, was not very attractive but Rachel, the younger sister, was beautiful. Now, let me say this about relationships. Physical attraction is important. That, that God designed us to be physically attracted to our future mate. That we should have a healthy attraction with the person that we are going to marry and spend the rest of our lives with. However, society has put way too much of an emphasis on that and that alone. That many relationships are built just on surface things, how a person looks. So far, that I mean, I, I, I truly agree for this generation living now with our kids that are growing up in this because, I mean, there are filters that they put on their phone to, to take these, you know, selfies of themselves to portray something that they're not. And, and I'm like, but that's not the real you. That's not who you, be confident, be proud who you are. Don't put a filter on. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Be who God made you. But that is what society says, that you have to look a certain way, that you have to be attractive enough to, to, to find an appropriate mate. Yes, attraction is important, but that is not the only thing. Substance is important. There has to be a connection and a relationship, not just, well, you're pretty and you're handsome, so let's do this thing and get together and live happily ever after. That's what The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is based on. How wrong is that? But that's what we're teaching our kids. That's what a society is teaching us. 
Jacob was not in love. He was in lust. Let's be honest. He saw a beautiful woman, and he fell in lust with her. And, ooh, I'm in love. She might, you haven't even spoken a word to her. It's like kids in school. Man, I, I, when I worked in youth ministry, Lord help, let's pray for Austin right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> My goodness, my, my, my kids, they were, all, they were my kids. I mean, the, the youth students, they were my kids. I know parents, they're your kids, but they were my kids. And so when I look at my kids and I go, you know, the, oh, Pastor Matt, I'm in love. I'm no, you're not in love. Stop it. You're 14 years old. You do not know what love is. Oh, but I'm in love. Oh, he's so, he's so nice to me. No, he's not. He's, he's a punk, all right? Let me tell you. Let me tell you about him. My daughter's sitting right there, so you can all vouch for this. So he was in lust. Jacob was in lust with her. He was not in love. And if you actually read through the story, we don't have time to go through it all, but if you read deeper, you actually see that, that, that Leah actually becomes the more attractive of the two. That, that while Leah may have not been physically attractive internally, there was more depth to her than there was Rachel. But far too often, relationships just start that way. They're built on physical attraction and nothing more. I mean, how in the reality show series, that how can you really get to know somebody when you've got cameras stuck in your face? How honest are you really going to be with cameras and you know that everybody is going to be watching this and it's probably going to go viral if you say something truly honest? We don't really know people. And you can't get to know people that it's built on nothing but external things. There's nothing of substance. But Jacob was probably thinking, if I can just marry this, this woman, then everything in my life will be complete, that, that I'll have meaning in my life because I don't know what there's a void missing. I, I never had a relationship with my dad. My mom is no longer here. I'm separated from my brother, that he's trying to kill me. So there's a void. There's something missing. He doesn't know what God has for him, so I just need to get married. I just need to find a woman, settle down, have 2.5 kids, and everything will be great. But marriage is not the answer to our problems. There are three things that happen when we believe marriage is the answer. Now, let me go through these really briefly this morning. Number one, when we believe marriage is the answer, we compromise. We compromise way more than we should. Look what happens. In verse 18, Jacob was in love, love, with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, daughter Rachel. So Jacob makes a deal with Laban. I'll work for you seven years, and then Rachel will be my wife. Now, some of you ladies in here are like, excuse me? I am not going to be bought by anybody. I don't know who you think you are. That is insulting, all right? And I can understand that. That is a bit insulting. Like, you're just, I have no say in this, that this guy's going to work for seven years, and I don't even get to say if I want to marry him. You're not, nobody's buying me. I can just, I can hear you thinking right now. So I'm just, we're, we're right there. So that's not romantic. That's not, you know, and, and I get that. But in some ways, it might be a little romantic. Wow, he's going to work seven years for me? Wow, he must really like me if he's willing to give seven years of his life. Wow, okay, maybe, maybe there is some romance there. But truly, he gave up way more than he had to. He compromised. I may not be the best negotiator in the world, but usually you don't start high, right? <laughs> you usually start low. Because if he truly was in love with her, he would want to marry her as soon as possible. But he says, seven years. I'll work for you seven years. Which was way more than he would have ever had to. Which was customary. He, that was like three or four more times than what he would have had to have done just in custom. But he automatically says, seven years, I want to marry her. And I want her to be mine. 
which unfortunately a lot of people do. We give up more than what we should. We compromise. There have been far too many women who have compromised because they said they were going to save themselves until they got married, but compromised because that young punk smooth-talked his way into breaking that promise that she made. Or maybe dating that guy who was an absolute jerk, but thinking, I've got to get married. I, I, so I'm going to compromise. I know I don't need to be treated this way. I know I, don't, I, I deserve more than this, but, but if we get married, I'll change him. I'll, I'll take him to church, and he'll love Jesus, and everything is going to be great. And so she gives in. Or maybe the guy who tries to impress the girl and buys her everything that she wants, and he goes into debt hoping that she will love him just by buying her things. But that's not real. That's compromise. And that's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to compromise our values and who we are just to get married. I'll work seven years when he only really had to work two. He compromised way more than he should have because he wanted something to fill the void in his life. When we marry because we think that that's the answer to our problems, that's, that's one issue. Number two is we become demanding. When we believe marriage is, when we get married because try to fill a void, we can become demanding. Look what happens in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, after he had worked seven years, give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. I did my part. Now send her over to me. You see how shallow that is? It's a contract. I fulfilled my bargain. This is what it says. Now give her. She's mine. He's demanding. That's not honoring. That's not tenderness. That's not gent. And this is a gentle translation of this as well. He's basically saying, I did my part. Now let me do my part. That's what's going on here. And quite honestly, that happens in a lot of marriages today. That we see it as not a covenant, but a contract. Instead of laying our lives down to each other and submitting to each other, the marriage erodes into nothing more than just a contract. I deliver this, therefore you deliver this. And as soon as that, that happens, our expectations of each other rise, and all of a sudden we're dissatisfied with the person that we're now married to because of these expectations. And that can happen in any number of ways. And intimacy is quite honestly one of those places. That I'm doing this for you, I'm sacrificing it, so you better give this to me. I'm being very delicate with my words today, so just read between the lines. If I do this for you, then you're going to do this for me. Or we feel that, well, I'm going to withhold this from you because you haven't done this for me. That honeydew list is not there, so I'm going to withhold something from you. Some of you may, have, you may be married to a demanding person. You may be married to a demanding husband, a demanding wife. No elbows flying anywhere this morning. Don't keep them locked to your side. Don't elbow anybody. You can do that on the way in the home. Just talk. But we become demanding of one another. We ask for things and we want things. Women can be demanding of their husbands because expectations go uncommunicated. Because women expect men to know. All right, men, I'm going to do a public service announcement for all of you here today, okay? Ladies, we don't know. Don't know. We don't know. Come on, there we go. There's, come on, guys, help me out. We don't know, all right? You expect us to know? We don't. It's not because we don't necessarily want to. We just don't. 
like our minds are compartmentalized in little boxes. And this is where our mind stays. And if I'm watching football, that's my football box. Nothing else is going there. But I thought you were going to, nope, football. That's it right now, football, football, football. Women, on the other hand, they're thinking everything else. They're watching a movie, but they're thinking everything else. And everything's twisted together like spaghetti. Nope, I'm in my football box. That's it. Nothing else is going on. That, and, but yet women have, you, you expect us to do things because you, you didn't communicate. Well, you should just know. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm, that's just who I am. And even, and even if you look a square in the eyes and tell us, this is what I want you to do, we still may not know. <laughs> because I'm in my football box. And I'm thinking of my fantasy football team. And wait, well, I'm sorry, what? You want me to do what? All right. So let's just realize, expect, ladies, work with us. Give us a little bit of grace. Give us Now, guys, that doesn't just give us a cop-out, just a whatever. But still, you've got to communicate and communicate again, and then maybe we'll finally catch on to it. But we have to understand that, that we can become demanding of one another in relationship, in marriage. That, that you know, so many working families that, you know, that, that husbands and wives both work. And, and you both come home, and, and you know, husband comes in, and he expects, my expectation is when I come home from work, there's dinner on the table. Well, I've worked a job all day long, too. I, you know, so you're both looking at each other to stare off, where's dinner? I don't know, where's dinner? I don't know, where's dinner? I, well, you should, I work, too, and there's this expectation level. We have to understand that we have to work together and not have these expectations or what these expectations are. Or there may be one person working in the, the family. The husband may work and the wife may stay home. And he comes in and says, man, it must be nice to sit at home and not do anything all day long. Excuse me? Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to kill you. Jesus on my side and I'm going to kill you right now. And all the ladies... Equal opportunity offender this morning. I worked all day long. Where's my bath and where are my grapes? Service me, woman. That's the expectation. Come on. Don't go. Hey. Whoa. But the expectation is this is what I want and you should be giving me what I want. But we have to be upfront and honest and let each other know what the expectations are. Obviously, I'm exaggerating just a bit. I hope I am a little bit anyway. <laughs> but what I have found, even in good, healthy, strong marriages, is that the expectations have to be communicated with one another. That there is this part of us that I did my part, now you do your part. That even though that you're healthy and you talk and you communicate to each other, we can still get into that trap. Hey, I did my, my part. Now, why aren't you fulfilling your part? And not talking and communicating what our needs and what our desires are. We can become very demanding and we need to be aware of it. Number three, when you think marriage is the answer, you're always going to end up dissatisfied. If you believe marriage is the answer, you're always going to be dissatisfied. Some people believe that marriage is going to solve all their problems. But no person is ever going to be able to fulfill all of them. No one person can do that. What you've done is you've set that other person up for, for a, a guaranteed failure. This is what's going on in this story. So jumping through a couple verses this morning, Jacob was, again, I want to marry this girl. She's beautiful. He worked seven years. They go to finally get married. The uncle, again, Laban, was sitting there going, wait a second. 
my oldest daughter, like it doesn't happen this way. Rachel should not be getting married first. Leah, she's the oldest. She should get married first. And so he's trying to think, how can I make this work for Leah? How can I make sure? So he comes up with this, this idea. Well, you know, the, now it, it was customary that they would have a wedding feast and it would last for about seven days. There's probably a smidge of alcohol, a little bit going on there. All right, they weren't saved yet. They didn't know, you know, whatever. So there's probably a lot of alcohol flowing. And Jacob, he had worked for seven years, so he had probably partaken of the beverages. And so he'd probably been doing a little bit of celebrating. And then he doesn't realize what's going on because he's a little inebriated. So Laban realizes, I can take advantage of the situation. Jacob, he's kind of not with it right now. So Leah, go to, go to the marriage chamber where Jacob is put on this veil, cover your face, put on the dress so he doesn't know that it's you. And when he wakes up in the morning, you'll have consummated the relationship and you'll be married. That was the plan. And that's what happens. Verse 23, when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. Verse 25, and when morning came, there was Leah. Now, the Bible says that that Jacob said to to Laban, what have you done? Why have you done this to me? I served you for seven years for Rachel, and you have deceived me. This is not fair. Here's the bottom line. When any time that we believe that somebody else can meet our needs, it's always going to be Leah. Whenever you believe marriage is the answer, Leah is always going to be there. You're going to be disappointed. I'm dead serious. That if you think that somebody can meet all of your needs, you're going to get into marriage thinking they're going to meet them all and they never will be able to meet them all. No one person can meet all of your needs. But what is interesting is that Leah kind of did the same thing. Think about Leah for a moment. We've been talking about Jacob, but think about Leah. Again, I'm, I'm reading a little bit into this, but imagine she is the older sister. And she's seeing all this happen and she's thinking, well, if I give myself to him, Maybe he will love me. Maybe once he gets to know me, he'll love me. If we can just talk a little, we just need to get married, but then after that, then when he get, then he'll love me. So she willingly deceives him. She goes to the marriage chamber with a guy that really didn't want her. And her story is much like many other people's story, that, that as we see throughout this marriage, she tries one thing after another, trying to get his love. Surely if I do this, he'll love me. Surely if I do this, he will love me. Look, verse 31 and 32 are probably the most saddest verses in the whole story. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. And with the birth of the son, she says, Surely my husband will love me now. Don't you just hear the pain in that? Finally, now, if I have this child, finally my husband will love me. Surely he will love me if I do this. If I give him children, then our marriage will work. If I make more money and and give her whatever she wants, maybe our marriage will work. If I have the surgery and, and I become more attractive, maybe he'll be attracted to me. If we have the lifestyle, the whatever, maybe he or she will love me then. But ultimately, Jacob didn't love her. But what is missing in all of this story? Where is God? God is nowhere to be found. There is no evidence of anybody seeking and praying. 
what do I do? There is no evidence of any faith. There is no, and there's nothing of spiritual connectedness, nothing. It's all based on what I want out of you and what you can do for me. They were still searching for the one. The problem is they were searching for the wrong one. That's what we've been taught, and that's what our kids are being taught. You have to find the one. You have to find that person, then everything is going to be wonderful. If you've been taught and believed to be conditioned to believe that statement, that you will be fulfilled, if you find that one, you are going to be very, very disappointed. The way that we interpret all of this is that we have to find the perfect one, Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. But that's not going to bring us happiness. That's not going to leave us with a lifelong of, of joy in our lives. So boy meets girl. He's the one because he's cute. Because he batted his eyes at me. He's the one. I love her. She's cute. She's the prettiest girl I've ever known. Maybe she's the one. And that's how we base our relationships. But what if we were to say when we met someone that you think of, instead of thinking physically, but man, there's, there's a connection between us spiritually. That, that there's, something, that there's something deeper than just what's on the outside, the physical. That, that there's a connection that's in our, in our walk and our relationship with God. That this, this, this intimate connection goes beyond just the physical, but there's something deeper. And that when we, we don't think that we've met the one, but that we've met the two. That is what we should be thinking. Because if we are truly to be fulfilled in our lives, you can never ever forget the one. God is the one. No your husband and your wife is not the one. They're the two. God is the one. That is the one that we should be seeking, and that's what we see missing out of this story. They weren't seeking God. They were seeking someone to meet their needs. What did Jesus say was the most important thing ever? The, to, to, to the, the biggest command to make God our number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all, all that you, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God, make him number one in our lives. But yet often we try to find that person to be the one and then put God to the side or make him second or third. To really have the kind of marriage that God has designed for us, we have to know the one. We have to have a connection with him. If your marriage is only based on a person, you're going to be disappointed and ultimately hurt. You can be a Christian and know God, but he's not your number one. That you put idols in your lives and you're not putting him first. And we see that clearly, that, that God was not really a part of what was happening in their lives. Now, again, this story is a very complex and there's a whole lot that I'm, I'm jumping through. But I want to, to, to conclude with this. Looking at Leah and looking at her life, she had three sons. She ends up having three sons and each time thinking, he will finally love me. She goes on to have a fourth, but this time something is different. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, this time something's going to be different. I didn't know, I get, you know, God, I didn't give you credit before. This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. She gave God praise. We see God being glorified in what was happening. Now, what's the deal with Judah? Why is Judah so important? Again, God can make a miracle out of our mess. That, that if you look at the lineage of Jesus, that Jesus comes from the line of Judah. 
So again, out of all of this, out of all this mess, something beautiful happens that Jesus came from the line of Judah, proving that what we may start on not the right way and do things our own way, God can do the impossible. Anything is possible with God. Absolutely anything is possible. Everybody say that. It's possible. You didn't believe it. Say it again. It's possible. So where do we start? Where do we start? If, here's the best thing that, that I, can, I can encourage you today. If, you, if you've married, if, if you're here today and you are with your spouse, reach over and grab their hand. Just grab their hand. Just hold on to their hand. Say, you know what? We may, we may be going through a challenging time right now. Maybe we didn't start on the best foot. But from this moment forward, we're going to seek after the one. And this, this connection that you're making is saying that, that I'm going to be number two. And I want you to be number two in my life. But we want God to be number one. That you're making the commitment today saying God is going to make something beautiful out of something that may be messy. That you may be looking at your life and your marriage and go, man, this, I don't know how God is going to make a... We, we, we kind of went the, the line that, that Jacob, that we never, we didn't seek God first. But God can do something beautiful. God can do something that seems impossible. So if you would, everybody go ahead and stand with me this morning. Husbands and wives, I want you to, to, to keep holding each other's hands. But if you would, just bow your heads this morning. And, and, and again, if you're here with your spouse, just keep holding on to their hands. I know that there are, there are many hurting people. And you may be here today and, and maybe your spouse isn't with you. I still believe that the impossible can be possible with God. I believe that something amazing and beautiful can happen if we put God first. I know that there are marriages that are here today that may be deeply strained. And maybe you're like, you know what? We do have expectations of each other and I am demanding or she's demanding or he's demanding. Ah, whatever it may be. But today you just make that commitment and say, today, God, we are gonna put you first. And over the next several weeks as, as part of this, this series, we're gonna devote our, our time to serving you. That maybe you, you don't spend time praying as a couple. You make a commitment that every, every morning when you wake up or when you go to bed at night, whatever, you just reach over and grab their hands. You say, God, we're putting you first. Help us to be number two and help us make you number one. There might be some of you today, you're saying, you know what, I've put too much on my spouse. I, I've put way too many expectations on them, whether it's because I, I just thought that's the way that marriage was supposed to be. I, I saw it modeled growing up and, and you say, you know what, maybe I have been too demanding. And just simply ask for forgiveness. Say, first, ask, ask God to forgive you. Forgive me for putting those expectations and then sometime today or the next couple days, I encourage you to do it quickly and just say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I've put these expectations or I'm sorry if I haven't told you what my expectations are. Let's have a discussion, a rational discussion, keeping God the center and God the focus of it. That, God, we want you to be number one in our marriage. That we want to do what you have called us to do. That ultimately what you're saying is, God, we want the marriage you want us to have. 
and make that your declaration. That yeah, it may be messy. It may be a little bit awkward at times. But ultimately you're saying, God, we want to put you first. We want you to be number one. I'm praying, God, do miracles in marriages today. Begin restoration today. Soften hearts, Lord. Let conversations flow. May your love and grace abound in each person. For husbands and wives, God, to be able to speak to one another out of love. That, that, that marriage would not be seen as a contract, but a covenant. Not a list of these are the things that you should do for me and I will do for you, but a covenant that we both lay our lives down to each other, ultimately because we're laying our lives down to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you will create spiritual legacies in every family represented here today. Lord, I pray for the men. I pray for every husband. God, I pray that they would be the head of their house, that they would be the pastors of their homes. God, that you would lead them, that you would guide them, that you would give them the strength to stand against every attack of the enemy. Lord, I pray you would give them words of wisdom. You would speak to their hearts. May they be there for their kids. Show them love and affection. Even if they don't even know what that looks like, God, may they show that. God, for every woman, every wife here today, I pray, Lord, that she will be the rock of her family. God, that she will stand strong, that she will speak, that she will be a prayer warrior for her kids and for her husband. God, that they would be united together, that what you have created for your beauty will rise. Lord, you be exalted. You be the one that we seek after. And if there is any of the, the, that are you that are here today, and maybe you're not married yet, I pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide them. May they never compromise. May they stay true to their convictions. That they never get married out of necessity, but get married because it's the one that you have called them to be with. For those that are here today that have been married, Lord, I pray a special blessing upon their lives and their hearts today. Lord, I pray that they would understand that they are not alone, that, that you are with them. And if ever they come to a place where they're looking to be married again, that they would have the confidence and the wisdom to step into that covenant again. But only when you have called, that they would be prepared for that time and season in their lives. Lord, I speak to every person here today that we would leave here knowing that out of our mess, beauty can rise. That even though things may not look good, even though there have been arguments and there has been strife, that can all fade away when we make you number one. For every person in this room, whether they're married or not, may we make you number one in our lives. Lord, we honor you with every part of who we are. We seek you and seek you first and everything else will be added after that. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing right now and the work that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. 
you've enjoyed this teaching, would you consider a gift to support the ministry of FLC? Visit mylighthouse.church forward slash give. Faith Lighthouse Church is located at 3409 Paul Buckman Highway in Plant City, Florida. Our weekly worship services are held on Sundays at 11 a.m. We also have various life groups and programs for all ages that meet throughout the week. We'd love for you to be a part of what God is doing in Plant City.